Welcome to Teeth and Titanium, a podcast about oral surgery, residency, and life. We would like to thank the Canadian Association of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery for their continued support. All opinions expressed in this podcast by the hosts and their guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the CAOMS. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for surgical decision making. All right, everybody, welcome to Teeth and Titanium, episode 25. This is our September issue. Oscar, how's it going? It's good. Summer rush is over, so everything is kind of not slowing down, but just getting a little bit more normalized. It's funny because you had warned me in advance about summer and how summer is like a different beast and it's just way busier. You have to get ready for it. But this is my first summer in private practice. And oh, yeah, I, that's say, true. I totally agree with you. It's a, it's a crazy time. Yeah, it's kind of like the opposite of like when you're in school, you enjoy the summer. You don't want it to end. Like with us, yeah. it's so busy. You almost want September to get here sometimes. Yeah, the summer is busy and then December is crazy busy. It's just like everyone wants surgery and a lot of last minute stuff. People just need it before school. And they don't realize everyone's booking way in advance. It's almost like a, it shouldn't be a pet peeve because you know what? It's still business, but it's funny when a patient comes in like the last week for a consult, they're like, do you think I can get in before school? I'm like, you couldn't have got in if you came five weeks ago. Like, like there's yeah. no chance you're getting in. They always say, do you think I can sneak it in before school? And I'm like, I'm like, like do you next mean, year of school? Yeah. I'm like, exactly. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, like your under, but by the time your undergrad is done, like, what are you talking about here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, summer was crazy, but no, it was a good summer. It's really busy. And now it's nice to be in fall. And the, the other thing that's different for me is the surgical ortho clinic. I mean, you know this, but yeah. just for our listeners, it's closed during the summer, which is funny because I didn't realize that. I thought it was just a year round thing. So when we got to June and it's like, this is our last clinic. I said, what? You're like, what's happening? <laughs> I booked up every Wednesday for this. You're like, did, did the program cancel it? What happened here? <laughs> yeah. And it's true because, yeah, you got you have a different schedule over the summer for the program itself. Yeah, program is very different or our schedules are different. So summer was definitely unique. But what's nice is once the fall comes back, school's starting up again. So mm-hmm. that means resident you know, schedule is getting back in swing. The clinic's back up. So now the schedule kind of normalizes back to what I'm used to. And it's just you get in the group because you got so used to it. Then over the summer, everything changes. Now you'll go back to what you had last year. So that's great. Yeah, exactly. So no complaints here. One thing that I want to bring up with you, Oscar, is that we've been talking last episode how we brought in Brad on a trial basis as a producer. And after one episode, you were ready to like indoctrinate him. And I was like, let's pump yeah, the brakes a little I bit. And he's, I said six episodes. Yeah. So this and is I said our, one. This is our... and so then we kind of met in the middle, I guess. No, I, I think I'm going to keep six episodes. <laughs> it's okay, Brad. I got you. Don't worry. <laughs> so one thing we realized after that episode was, you know, it was our first episode last time with Brad. We got rave reviews and you were ready. You said you only need one episode. Now, this is our second episode featuring Brad as a producer doing all the organization. And are you still just as high on it? Or I just told you, you I like, yeah, I got Brad's back. No regrets. No regrets. You got Brad's back still. No. So I got to say, I'm coming around a little bit too. I, I feel like this is definitely taking a lot of the weight off our shoulders and also improving the quality of our agenda and topics and guests that are coming up like he's already organized some guests i'm pretty excited about so. yeah that's the biggest like the biggest thing just getting things organized it's so much more efficient yeah you know as you know i listen to a lot of other podcasts and i've noticed what they do is all of them have producers but every now and then it's not like the producer is a guest but because the producer is always around kind of listening and kind of moving things along sometimes they'll bring them in for an opinion or a comment or something they'll have something to add and I realized Brad's actually going to be able to do that a lot because he's working and his practice is in the U.S. Yeah. So, he so he's right across the border. Yeah, he has some perspective that he can give us. So, for example, last episode, we were talking about surprise billing, mm-hmm. surprise billing act. ER how visits. When you go to the ER, ER visits might be different and how the U.S. is different from Canada. 
And uh, right after it was after the show stopped recording, he was kind of educating us and hit a little bit. Of, Brad, Brad, why don't you just get in here, Brad? Just come yeah, on. Yeah, honestly, Brad, I think you should just you should just comment yourself. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> don't get used to this. It might be a temporary yeah. thing. That's the extent of what you get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Brad, you were mentioning like you're more familiar with the surprise billing act, and it actually kind of affects you and the states and more in your practice. And obviously every case is going to be different for you. But did you want to educate the listeners just on that one example you gave about how when you're on call, sometimes things can be a little bit dicey? Yeah, a lot of times when we're on call in the United States, you can't, well, in Canada as well, but in Canada, it's not as big of an issue because of single payer insurance. But you don't always know what insurance that you're going to end up dealing with. And so you end up with an issue where you're getting paged to come into the ER and see a patient. And then you yourself, because you're not necessarily affiliated with the hospital, have to have a financial discussion beforehand and determine for the patient whether or not you would be in network or out of network to help make sure those patients don't get the surprise bill. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to eliminate the surprise pretty much by having a frank discussion with them. Yes. Otherwise, if you don't have that frank discussion, you're kind of leaving them high and dry on yourself as well. I don't even but it must like be a little bit awkward. About, yeah, I was say I don't even like to talk about billings about patients in the office. Like I'd have to bring my office manager if I was on call and be like, "Hey, can you talk to the patient about finances here?" Like that's horrible. Well, the way I deal with it is I see the patient first and then work them up, and then if I do have to do any treatment, then we move on to that. Mm. But I have learned at the time of consult to at least cover myself to have them sign our office financial policy. And to go over it with them. It is very uncomfortable. I, I can't see yeah. because I have to run a practice and I'm a solo practitioner, but mm-hmm. I also have to, you know, I also want to treat patients and be able to take care of them. So, I mean, I'd be interested to hear what our listeners that are in the United States and what their practices do. So make sure to email us at teeth and titanium podcast at gmail.com. See how organized you? Yeah. See how good that is? No, that was good until he got, he got the email wrong though. I did. Oh, I didn't even, I didn't, wasn't even listening. I was sold when he started that already. Teeth and titanium OMFS at gmail.com. Exactly. Teeth and yes. titanium OMFS <laughs> at gmail.com. This guy's going to get mass emails to this random dude. Yeah. Watch that. The person's going to be like, wow, I got a lot of emails. <laughs> <laughs> I think Wendell's the smart one. Let's I wait think. for six months here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyways, welcome, Brad. And thanks for your input. Every now and then we'll throw it to Brad and he'll give us some insight. I think, I think it's always useful to get, get a, uh, an American. I do opinion. think that is productive though, or like, or useful because we just don't have to deal with that. It is so different down there. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a totally different animal. The whole insurance game in the States. It's really unfortunate. All right, Oscar, that's enough bantering at the beginning. Let's move on to current events. So the first thing I want to talk to you about, Oscar, was something that really just, you, you mentioned pet peeves earlier. This is a really big pet peeve of mine. I don't understand why when you're at the hospital or even for our office landline and you pick up the phone, you dial someone's number, you know, it'll say, this is a long distance call. Please dial one before dialing the number. And part of me understands that, you know, they want to make sure you know it's long distance because you might be paying for long distance. Yeah. I think nowadays pretty much Canada is free on yeah, our mobile say. plans and I don't know about landlines, if they're different or what my landline plan is at the office. I assume long distance is covered for Canada, but who knows? But then sometimes you'll, you just want to avoid having to make the second call. So you'll just put one and then I'll say, this is a local call. So please hang up and dial again without putting the one. I'm just trying to think, what is going on in 2022? Where is the technology here? Like, why? Why have we not moved such- forward with this? Yeah, why have we not moved forward this issue? And does this happen to you too at the office? So, or Honestly, I use my cell phone for everything. Even for calling patients? Yeah, but I just put, I just block my number. 
Oh, you're blocking number. Okay, yeah, fair so enough. Number. So I really haven't had to deal with this pretty much since I was a resident, I think. That's the last yeah. time. And then you had to dial these codes when you're at the hospital to get them <laughs> yeah, the long distance like, codes. I think I just did algebra to call that patient. I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, so now I really don't deal with it. I just always use my cell phone for everything. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's just our office landline. I don't know if there's a way to fix that, but every time I'm calling, you know, being in Brampton, sometimes you have people from all around and I don't know, there's this weird line where it becomes long distance <laughs> versus local. So some people in Toronto are all local, but then someone might be with a new era code as long yeah. distance people in Oakville will be local. But then if they're in Burlington, maybe it's long. It's just a weird kind of setup that's going on. Yeah, no, I, that, that would just annoy me. I'd be like, okay, am I dialing the one? Am I not putting the one? What are we doing here? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about was I kind of laughed to myself where, I don't know if you've, you've had this experience too, but do you, I get a lot of emails Either they're from people at the hospital or a lot of other oral surgeons. I will say there's a lot of oral surgeons that will respond or email. And at the end of their email, they always have this signature. And it's like this long block of text. And it's oh. like privilege and confidential communication. This is confidential. Any documents attached are confidential, legally privileged. So if you have received this message in error, please contact the sender immediately and uh, you know delete this email. I have two questions. One. Does anyone ever actually contact the sender and say, I received this in error? And number two, there's no way this is legally like protective. No. Like I, I don't, no. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it that this little signature means you go to court because yeah. you uh, email the patient's entire chart. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I had the signature. The what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had the signature. And, and I'm sure you've noticed it makes email chains like insanely long. I get frustrated that I can't scroll down. And then I click one yeah. by mistake and I'm in the middle again and I don't know where I am and I'm lost halfway through the email thread. That really yeah. annoys me. Yeah. The signature is ridiculous. We need to get rid of it. I don't believe it does anything. Now, if any listeners either a have a law background yeah. or have a spouse that's a lawyer or family friend, please, please email us and tell me if I'm wrong. I'd be happy to admit I'm wrong, but I just refuse I don't think to are. believe I don't think that this is protecting anyone. Yeah. Anyways, we'll say for this podcast, this podcast is privileged information. Yeah. Nobody sends us an email with that because we're not going to open it from now on. Exactly. Another you know topic that I wanted to bring up was we kind of mentioned this with Brad actually before, and it's kind of one of the, the overarching topics of something we wanted to discuss was, you know, being a business owner versus a healer. As you know, I, I own a practice now. I've owned it since last December. So coming up in a year now, and you're an associate, but you also have to deal with finances, patients, treatments, surgeries, all these different types of things. You quickly realize, because you didn't have to deal with this in residency, that patients are paying money for services. And then you're dealing with insurance and out of pay and co-pays and all this random stuff. And... There's this fine line between being a business owner or business practitioner and being a healer. So, you know, there's this concept of the monetized healer that, that we've read about. And, it, you know, it can be not only an ethical issue, but sometimes it's just, it's kind of more of a, a delicate issue is how I put it. And, and this is the example I thought of that I want to bring up with you. Two people come in for a wisdom tooth consult. One person has easy wisdom teeth. One person has super challenging wisdom teeth. You're going to code it based on the difficulty of the wisdom teeth. So the person with the easy wisdom teeth is going to get lower code, so they're going to pay less. And the person with the harder wisdom teeth is going to get higher code, so they're going to pay more. Now, granted, insurance might cover this, or there's all these other factors. But it made me realize this is an example of both these people were just born with wisdom teeth. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't change anything. And just by pure bad luck or good luck, they're paying more or less for the exact, well, not the exact same treatment, but a similar service. So we're charging more to people just because they happen to have bony impacted horizontal wisdom teeth versus someone having, you know, a super erupted upper eight. In that sense, I don't mind this one. I think if it's a harder procedure, you, they should be charged 
more. And like, yes, mm-hmm. I know it's not their fault that genetically they developed those teeth in those positions. So like I said, oh, I want to have difficult teeth. But in that one, I have no issue charging the person where I think we're going to do more work. It's going to be more challenging, potentially require mm-hmm. more follow-up to charge them more money. I think the dilemma becomes when you see a patient really doesn't have the means to pay for something, or let's say they come in for a path console and you're like, oh, that doesn't mm-hmm. look good. Like, and they're like, I have no money. That's a bigger dilemma to me. And I, actually, I don't even think it's a dilemma because in my opinion, we're just going to do it. Like if it has well, to that's, what, that's what I'm thinking. I don't consider that a dilemma because we all know we saw, if we see pathology, you see infection, they have no money. You're going to do it. Yeah. You're going to help them out. You're going to treat it. Yeah. So I find those ones are, are not a gray area because we know what we're going to do. We know what we want to do. And we'll actually get enjoyment out yeah. of healing them and helping them. Yeah. So, I find the, the elective surgeries are the gray area where it becomes really tough because, you know, this person got in a traumatic accident. They're missing three teeth. They need implants, bone grafting. And they're going to have to pay this exorbitant amount just to rehabilitate their jaw. Whereas if they broke their arm in the same car crash, it would all be fixed for free. You don't want to let this podcast get out to the media. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> you might you might get us on just completely funded healthcare, And so I don't know if you want to keep this conversation going that much. But no, I, I agree with you. It does become it becomes difficult to think about sometimes. Again, like I said before, in the first scenario, you said, I have no issue with that. I think if the procedure requires more work, there should be mm-hmm. a bigger fee for it. I do think, yeah, like if you if a person has a trauma, that makes you think, oh, maybe they should be entitled to something like that. But still, we're providing the service and that's the way the system is set up right now. One other example I'll throw at you, because this is an example I talk about a lot, because you know, you know, I'm passionate about orthognathic surgery. I lecture a lot on orthognathic surgery. Some practitioners will charge a different rate for like a single jaw, procedure versus a double job procedure or like a workup fee yeah. or, you know, a consultation fee, things like that. Mm-hmm. And my argument is you put the exact same amount of work into both cases, right? Just because once again, someone was congenitally born with two jaws that were asymmetric versus mm-hmm. one jaw, you're still going to put the same level of effort, care, follow-up, examination, diagnosis, surgery, like you're doing everything the same. Yeah. So my argument is always you should just charge both patients the same because you're doing the exact same amount of work for both patients. Now, granted, at the time of surgery, one of those patients requires double the work. But at that point, you're billing OHIP, you're billing the government, and you are billing more codes. So you're getting reimbursed for the extra work you're doing. From a consultation and workup point of view, my argument would be both patients are needing the same treatment. It's not like you do half the work for a single job case. Where would you come down on that as far as a business practice versus surgery healer kind of mentality? Again, I'm I'm okay with either perspective. Like if someone said, oh, I just want to charge a flat fee for all my workups, I'd have no issues with it. Like no issues with it. And if someone said, Oh, you know what? I think I'm gonna I'm I'm personally gonna charge a set fee for singles, a set fee for doubles, and a set fee for triples. I've also have no issues with it because a lot of times, being realistic, orthognathic surgery still is also an elective procedure. Like in a lot of cases, it's not like you're not changing the world, right? Like a lot of it is is an is an elective procedure. So if the patient wants to do it, you can choose what to bill for it. I will say it might have been a little different before when people were doing model surgery because a workup for a triple jaw or a double jaw is, is different than a single jaw, right? Like yeah, if you're doing well, a lot surgery, more work. A lot more work. Yeah. So if you were charging and didn't want to change those fees, I would be okay with that. Nowadays, like you said, yeah, if you're doing a single or a double, the, the workup isn't going to be that much different. Yeah, definitely. And then the last thing they, they talk about, and I will say, keep in mind, having worked as an associate and then work now as an owner, it's... When you're an associate, it's so nice. You never have to, I don't think you ever have to really worry about, I mean, you do have to worry about this problem because you're billing a service. It's a fee for service model. So you do have that conflict of interest of what you bill is what you're going to make. But at least you don't, you never have to think about overhead or 
material costs and things like that coming out of your pocket. So you, n- you never have to worry about that conflict of interest. So that, that's something that becomes a lot more difficult, I think, for the owners out there that they have to identify with is, you know, that remember we talked about this before, your overhead is the same as, you know, not charging as much or losing money. So you always have to balance overhead versus what you're charging the patient and what you're offering the patient, what you're doing for the patient. And, and so, again, I, I don't know how this applies to you. I can just kind of see in, in what I've seen so far is I, I will say, I don't think in, in any of the owners that we have, overhead really is affected or takes part in patient care at all. Like if anything, their overhead that they're going to focus more on is like, oh, are we overstaffing the front desk? Like, are we are we bringing too many floaters for no reason? But in terms of patient care, I don't think it has, on them at least, like the office that I work at, it has no bearing. If that patient needs that extra suture, the suture is going in. If that patient needs the extra ball of probe, the probe is going in. Their overhead concerns are where they can try to cut and, and make it more efficient is more on the admin type stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, in the fee-for-service model that we talked about, obviously, both of us, you know, we bill the patient for a service. They pay a fee for that service. We're in a fee-for-service industry. Mm-hmm. Would you prefer being on a salary model and you just show up to work, work, go home, and it doesn't matter what you did or how many patients you saw? Or do you prefer or see the benefits of a fee-for-service model? I would hate to be on a salary. Me too. But yeah. why for you? I don't know. Like, first of all, on a salary, someone else can dictate what the number of patients you're going to see, how many patients you're going to see, because you're tied to the salary. They, you've agreed to do the services, whatever they are, for this remuneration back. Fee for services, I control how many days I want to work, how many patients I want to see in that day, how busy I want my day to be, how long I schedule each procedure. So I would much rather be in control of my schedule and in control of what I potentially can bill than just a salary. I think salaries do have a place though. Like I think for new grads who are not comfortable and sometimes get a little bit overwhelmed when they first start, I think having a salary or a baseline is a good backup. It makes you feel comfortable. It allows you to maybe go market. It allows you to get out of the office a little bit and go see meet new dentists. But I think once you're established, I, I don't know an oral surgeon that would want a salary in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. And I just feel like you, you lose a little bit of motivation. Yeah. Not that we're motivated by fee-for-service, but you're motivated to see patients because you want to see patients, you want to see what they need, you just want to do what they require. I feel like on a salary, you, a salary, you just at the office hoping every patient cancels because yeah. well, like, like, he's not going to thank you Even if all. you're not lazy, if you're like, I'm getting paid the same whether I see one or tw- 20 patients, why would you want to yeah. see 20 patients? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think I think it, it doesn't align with the, the kind of motivation of, of, of being a practitioner. So I would totally agree with that. Now, the next thing I want to talk to you about was this is a, a stressful time. You know, September is application time for oral surgery. October is usually interview time. And November, this is in Canada, at least for American listeners. November is when everyone finds out. American interviews usually are November, December, and then they have their match, I think, in January. So it's a little bit delayed for them. But super, super stressful time for the applicants to OMFS and, you know, being involved with the program now, being involved with interviews. I told you this last year, which is my first year being on staff for interviews. The competition is getting better and better each year. It's getting harder and harder. And I I feel bad for these applicants because these resumes are phenomenal, but there's just limited spots in Canada. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you look at some of these resumes, like, and again, last time I looked at it was when I was in fourth year, when I was graduating, we we were part of the interview. So you get to read the resumes. And I'm like, if I'm applying, I don't even get an interview. Like some of these resumes are so stacked, like already have masters, already have so much research. Some of them are applying with PhDs. I'm like, what did you do in your spare time? Like, how did you accomplish all this? But so very impressive. And like you said, the unfortunate thing for here for Canada is you can be 
top of the food chain candidate, but there still really is only like seven or eight spots that you that you're fighting for. So yeah, like you can be a top ten applicant in and all of North America it. and still not get in. Yeah, like that's what's kind of scary about it. Yes, and if you really want to, there's enough spots in the states where you're going to get in somewhere, but mm-hmm. it's pretty limited. Yeah, definitely. So. I think we both just want to wish best of luck to all the applicants. We know it's a a rough, stressful time, but we all have to go through with it. And it'll definitely be worth it in the end. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. And it's worth the struggle. And even if it doesn't happen this year, you apply to the States, you apply next year, do an internship, do a GPR, do an AG, do something, and just boost up your resume and apply again next year. It's definitely, definitely worth it in the long run. Yeah. So I have some big news for you, Oscar. You may have noticed I'm recording from a new location Mm -hmm. because I'm happy to... Yeah, happy to report that. I mean, you were checking out the art on my wall before. I, I was. I was like, I'm like, hey, can you move your camera around? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to report that my wife and I, we actually purchased a home. So we're officially homeowners too, just like you. That's that's a big deal. It's stressful, but also like also stressful. Super stressful. You know, everyone always says congratulations. I'm like, really? The bank owns my practice and the bank owns my house. <laughs> <laughs> and I own nothing. <laughs> yeah. So you need to congratulate CIBC on their new purchase of a home. <laughs> yeah. No, but it is really nice. Obviously more space uh, having Lennox so you can run around, play with his toys, things like that. And also with the second baby on the way coming in November. So really, really good to kind of move in now before the second kid comes. And nice to be kind of settled. Obviously, we still have a lot to do moving in and unpacking and doing all that kind of stuff, finishing touches. But really, really happy to have finally join the club and just be more settled down. Yeah. It just makes you feel like you've got another stage in your life checked off. Like you're, this is your place. You were renting, you were renting for a little while. You were just getting used to, did you like the area where you're going to buy the practice in that area? Now, Mm -hmm. you know, this is somewhere you're going to be long-term. Yeah. And and I've already seen your house like three times before you even knew, because like, all I do (laughs) is drive around that area and be like, let me see how Wendell's construction is going. Yeah. You have a bunch of friends in the area. I know you would always take pictures and be like, I'm in your area. (laughs) And I would respond saying, it's a Tuesday. Are you working? Yeah, I didn't be like, no, no, this Tuesday I'm not working. <laughs> <laughs> I was always so jealous. You were like, come swing by. I was like, I'm at work. Yeah. I can't leave. The next story I have for you, Oscar, is kind of a, a, a morale boost on why you should never give up. You know, you and I are big sports fans. We've played sports our whole lives. Soccer is our biggest passion. It's our number one sport for both of us. You being South American, me being from a region of India that's super, super passionate about soccer, probably because it was a former Portuguese colony, Goa. But uh, we both love soccer. And I... You know, there's a cultural league that I, I've played in in Toronto since I was 16 years old called the GSL, the Goan Soccer League. It's a men's league. It's very competitive. You know, okay. we have four Do you have to be going to play or can anyone play? No, you actually have to be going to play oh. or like a relative that's going or married to a Goan. Like okay. it's actually pretty strict rules. Okay. So there's a lot of Goans in, in the greater Toronto area. Mm-hmm. Like at one point, I think at our peak, we had 14 teams and they're wow. all competitive. Like it's a big league. It's a really big league. Unfortunately, over time, you know, the number of people has gone down, but still a very competitive league and still a really passionate league. So 17 years I I played in 2007, we made the finals, Mm -hmm. but lost on a last second penalty shot. In 2010, I won MVP of the league. So that was kind of like when my fitness level and talent peaked, I'd say it was 2010. That's when there was two teams. (laughs) (laughs) There's no one else to choose besides me. And then since then, since 2007, never made the finals again so and is it always um, are you always on the same team always on the same team okay. yeah and you know it's a, it's a family league too so you know my my cousins would play on the team my brother plays on the team like we all know each other it's, it's a real cultural atmosphere but after 17 years this year we made the finals and we won the league no way so and it's just that's a congrats yeah it's a story of perseverance because you almost kind of start losing hope like so you, you just kind of show up year? So it's so funny you mentioned that because Bianca said, now that you've won and your dream is complete, you can finally retire. 
And I was like, I'm not retiring. Like, I'm, I'm going to go up for-, for two new leads next year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got to go back to back. Yeah. So it's a story of perseverance. And I just want to tell the listeners, you know, never give up on your dreams. Because- so indoor or outdoor? <laughs> outdoor. Outdoor. Okay. Outdoor 11 on 11. Yeah. No, legit soccer. 90 wow, minutes. 14 like teams, 11 on 11. That's, you guys got a lot of people there. That's what I'm saying. It's a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal. So what do you uh, win? I was what do you win? Just a big trophy. That's it. Oh, okay. Yeah, nothing, nothing fancy. I have the trophy at my house. I'll show it to you when you come by. Yeah, it's going it's gonna, on its tour. It's going to be in the new house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so those are the big, big two updates I had for you was purchasing the home and, you know, finally winning the soccer championship, which to other, you know, listeners that play in men's leagues, you know, a lot of people play in these, you know, they used to play really high level growing up or in university, especially hockey. Mm-hmm. And then they'll join like a beer league or a men's league. And some of these leagues are super competitive. Oh, yeah. Like they'll have, especially these hockey leagues, they'll have like 12 teams and, you never make it to the playoffs or win the whole thing. Like it's a big deal. Yeah, for no, no. People. It's like, like some of these some of these leagues are quite competitive and quite good. Yeah. Yeah. So so that that was that was a really happy moment. So I'm really happy about that. OR is still going strong. You know, these ORs are coming back. So we're in the operating room more and more, which is really I was in the operating room recently actually with Zane and, and Joey, who we've talked about on the podcast yeah, before. Both the funny awesome. thing I was thinking was the funny thing I was thinking about Zane Oscar is, you know, in a previous episode, we mentioned how I was in the OR with Zane and how he brought up the podcast. And I told you. And he'd asked me like, oh, does this mean I'm going to be on the episode? And I said, well, I guess, but it doesn't mean I'm going to say nice things about you. It just means I'll bring you up. And he kind of laughed at that. And then I talked about this and I said, you know, am I being manipulated into just bring up his name? Like, is that what people he, are going to yeah, do now? He, he owned you there for sure. He did. And yeah, that's what you told me. You said he owned me. But what I realized is, you know, I'm okay being owned because the next time I was in the OR with him, which was recently, he told me he listened. He laughed. He was like driving. He laughed in his car. He went home. He like he made his wife listen to that like one segment, and she was laughing at him, making fun of him. And then he even played it for his office at work. Okay, so you know what? It's worth it. And they were all laughing at him, making fun. like they all enjoyed it. And these are the these are kind of the beautiful moments I think because you and I are used to doing this now. It's you know three years, so we're constantly interacting with each other. We're constantly getting feedback. So we love that interaction with the fans. I mean, mm-hmm. we've said that a million millions of times. But it is nice that like every little story will then maybe spread it in their little family, their little, little circle, bigger. like somewhere else. Yeah. 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 And especially with someone that you work with too in the OR. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. No, we've been actually doing a lot of jaw surgery together. There's been a lot of cases ever since, you know, a lot of cases were delayed because of COVID. So we're just kind of ramping up and catching up on those cases. So it's actually been really good working with them. One idea I had, Oscar, that I want to bring up with you was the RCDC and NDEB exams. Currently, they're in June. Okay. And... What happens is, is these residents are stressed out the entire year yeah. of their chief year studying for this exam. It happens in June, then they feel relief. And then like three days later, they're graduated. Yeah. So they haven't enjoyed anything. And then maybe they're traveling, maybe they're working. But the issue is they don't find out if they pass the exam for maybe a month, maybe three months. Six it's, weeks. Actually, this year, six, this year, I think it was eight weeks. Yeah, like a long yeah. time. Yeah. And let's say even best case scenario, you find out you pass both exams. Then you can start applying for your yeah, licenses, sedation exactly. permits. It takes a long time. And as you pointed out to me before, everyone's graduating at the same time. So everyone's applying at the same time. Yeah. So there's a bottleneck in, in like how slow you're going to get things done. Huge bottleneck. So a lot of other medical specialties have their board exams earlier on, whether it be January of chief year, whether it be March of chief year. For I sure. know the RCDC used to be written in March and then the oral in June. Mm-hmm. Which actually I think is the worst of both worlds, because why would you want to split the exam up into, you know, yeah, really far parts? But one thing it made me think of is both these exams should just be moved to March. If it's in March, it's so much better. It's you almost don't take that last year hostage from the residents, right? Like you give it back mm-hmm. to them. Once mm-hmm. once they're done their exam in March, they forget about it. They won't know anything for six to eight weeks. But all they can do is they can enjoy those last three to four months of residency where they're really cutting 
they're just enjoying the experience that they're never going to have again, unless they do a fellowship. Um, mm-hmm. And then also they're going to be ready to work way faster because they get the results eight weeks in, let's say that puts mm-hmm. them in, in May, they can apply for all their licensures and they'll be ready to work the first day of July. You, you summarized it beautifully. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking around the exact same page here. I only see pros as approach. And keep in mind, they're still studying their chief year. Yeah. It's still late enough in their chief year that they have the wisdom and yes. operating experience that you get in your chief year. Yeah. So I feel like in March and June, they're the same level of competence. Yeah. They still have to study a long time. And then, as you said, man, having the exams behind you and then just finishing oh. your chief year would be would total be bliss. Yeah. I think you'd be a better resident for the past three months. Instead, right now, the exams are in June. And all of a sudden, once like April or May or Mar- you know May, no especially one's focused on residency. No one's point. focused. No. Everyone's going missing. Yeah. You know, it's and, just, and, I, and we can't blame them, especially because you're now on the other end, right? Where like you're now a staff, and mm-hmm. yeah, it may get a little frustrating, but you can't blame them because you know you did it too. Everyone does. Oh, it, right? you can't like, blame them at all. The most important thing out of all the four or six years that you're doing is that exam. Like yeah. nothing else matters. Completely agree. I don't blame them at all. So. We're on the same page here. We think it should be moved to March. Now, I can't, I, I tried hard brainstorming thinking, what is the con of this? Like, what is the negative side? Why isn't this the case? I generally can't think of any reason why it shouldn't just be in March. <laughs> I have nothing. Maybe someone from the RCDC or NDB can reach out and explain why it's always in June. It, it makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah, like, and even if there is a reason, I don't think it's better than all the other reasons we said for the positive version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would like to hear the other side if someone has a, you know, the other side of this, but both of us are completely on the same page here. Austin, you look, a, you look a little bit tan. Did you, did you go somewhere recently? I, f- I feel like we both look a little tan right now. <laughs> <laughs> Fritz, uh, feel free to skip the next five minutes of this topic because yeah, you don't need to hear about yeah, our vacation. Exactly. At least, like, you know what? I, I'm lucky I don't have to deal with Fritz because he definitely gets to chirp us if he really wanted to, but I don't see him on a regular basis like you do. Oh, I see him every Wednesday. That's, that's why. That's why. No, but you're going to laugh. So last Wednesday, I was at Serge Ortho Clinic for the first time. Yeah. Fritz was there and he wants to go through the calendar. I mean, we talked about this on the live episode yeah. <laughs> where he wants to go through the calendar and plot who's going to be there for each week to make sure we're always covering the clinic. And he kept saying, OK, Wednesday, this one. I said, I'm there. Wednesday, this one. I'm there. Wednesday, this one. I'm like, I'm there. And he looked back at me and I said, aren't you impressed? He's like. I'm not used to writing your name so often on the <laughs> schedule. What's going on? I said, I told you. I had a lot of conferences. I was pretty much presenting at them. A lot of them were delayed because of COVID. So they all built up into one year. So I had to travel like crazy for all these conferences. I, what he failed to you know, mention in Iceland was none of them were vacations. Yeah. They were all conferences that I was going yeah. to. So I said, they all built up. I said, next year, I, I might not be at any conferences. You know, it's, it's just the way it works. It, it just really piled up on this year. So he was laughing. And then I said, he starts saying, oh, I'm away this week. Oh, I'm away oh. this week. I'm like, Fritz, you're, you're becoming me. You're the away all the time. Turned, yeah. the tables have turned, yeah. Dude, the tables have turned completely. I, I won't mention Fritz's vacations, but let's just say, Fritz is away a lot of clinics. And yeah. I'm around a lot more. This semester, there's definitely a change, eh? <laughs> definitely a change and then when i when i called him out of that he said i'm learning from you from you <laughs> and you're like i got nothing i got nothing response. I, like, I got nothing on yeah. you so yeah I, I was gone the first week of september we went to mexico with the family how was that i actually went with bianca lennox her entire extended family oh nice uh, it was amazing it was amazing we talked a lot about in our recommendations section brainless tv shows like yeah. the ones where you're just tired at the end of the day you just want to put something on for pure entertainment don't even think about it i that have the same philosophy vacation? when it comes to vacations yeah so my brainless vacation is all-inclusive vacation on a beach. Yeah. So you go there, you pay up front, you don't pay for anything, everything's included, and you literally just 
sit there doing nothing all day for seven days. I still think I have to come around to that. Like I, I'm not. At the I know you don't like it. No, I, I really don't. But I feel like maybe when I have, we have a family, it will be the way to go because all our all our buddies, like your mutual buddies with you, that have families, mm-hmm. that's what they do, right? Like it's just mm-hmm. easier. There's less to worry about. But yeah, I was in Italy and we went to Venice Dolomites in Florence, drove around spontaneously. So that's where I am right now nice. in my life. But speak to me in a year, maybe. And then I might be like, all inclusives are the best place that we can go to. But right now, uh, yeah, I just find a, no, I find no stress because like your vacation sounds amazing, obviously. But for your vacation, I would want to be up on the run, sightseeing, taking walking tours, learning about the history, like yeah. doing things nonstop, trying new foods. Like Whereas, we came back as you said, tired from vacation. Yeah. 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 We were tired. I'm still jet lagged. (laughs) Whereas with the family, you really just want time to de-stress, get away from the office, not have to worry about anything. Like it's just totally a, especially after the summer brain melting away. That's perfect. Yeah. 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 I agree. So also getting away somewhere hot is nice too. In the winter in Canada too. I like the hot weather. So I've always liked all inclusive vacations for me. It's just like a brainless vacation, but yeah, maybe you'll come around to it. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. So, Oscar, as we've always mentioned, you know, we love our, our listeners mailing in. We love our fan mail. We definitely want to have more and more input over time. This is something Brad actually really wants to, because now that he's monitoring, kind of running the the fan site and or not the site, but like the email and the responding email? to people. <laughs> yeah, not, not the <laughs> fake email he mentioned before, the real email. Yeah, he can you know respond to the listeners and book people and things like that. So you know, he really wants you people to send things in. One thing that Brad mentioned that would be a funny topic as well for a future podcast and just talk about what listeners think is. You know, what's your care routine for for your your back or your shoulders, your arms? Because I, I will say, good. I think it's really good because I find my back is like a lower back is always in pain. Oh, you know, so your lower back. Mine is upper left, like neck back area. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. No, no lower back issues, but like my upper left, like shoulder blade kind of neck area. I'm like, hmm. okay, what's wrong with my neck right now? I can't move her. So, yeah, I think that would I would be interested to hear about that. Yeah, no, my, except for me, it's definitely a lower back. I know some people have different routines. You mentioned some people stretch in the morning. I know some people work out in the morning. I know some people do physio, massage, things like that. Like, do you have any particular routine that you do? So I do neither workout or stretch. I should do both of those, but I don't. But I do go see physio, massage, Cairo. Not like consistently, but I would say maybe I try to go once every six weeks. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, so it's not too bad. And then the physio that I that I found recently, he's really, really awesome. And massage, yeah, we try to go maybe one every two months. Sometimes I, I forget it and then I'm like, oh, all my benefits are coming up in the year and I go three times in like the one month. <laughs> but I do think it, it, it definitely is a great help and I should, I should try to do it more often. How do you have benefits? How do I have benefits? Oh, through Lex's office. Oh, nice, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, through Lex's office. So shout Yeah, out no, to, I don't have any benefits. Yeah, you're lucky of your wife. I don't have any benefits. So for me, it's just out of pocket. But it just doesn't matter. It, I think it's totally like, worth it. It's definitely worth it. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you was when you're when you're doing this routine, don't they often recommend that you like have to do daily stretches or a daily routine? Like, don't they usually they, tell you that? Yeah, they recommend you a lot of things. They recommend that you work out every day. I don't do those things either. <laughs> I know they often give you like 20 recommendations. You're like, dude, if I can do three of these, we're oh. winning. Like we finished the massage and he's like, let me just give you some recommendations. I'm like, buddy, you've been seeing me for the last five years. Do you think <laughs> I'm going to listen to your recommendations now? I'm going to come next month for the massage and you're going to give me the same ones and I'm going to ignore you again. But I should. <laughs> but he's like, do this stretch. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. I act like I'm so interested and then I just leave. Yeah, me too. I think I think a lot of us do that. But we do want we do want to hear from listeners. We, we did receive some did receive some fan mail, which was nice. So I'll just read it here. Dearest Wendell, Oscar, and Brad. Look at this. Brad got a shout already, out in the fan already. mail already. He's crushing it. That's pretty. Imp- I'm not gonna lie. That's pretty impressive. I didn't notice that until now. He wrote it himself. 
Yeah, actually, you're right. This is just a this is just a ghost account. We're not emailing it to make us think that listeners care about it. I eagerly listened to episode 24 to hear Dr. Ali King's perspective from Moorsgate. Hashtag Moorsgate. You know, Moorsgate. You know, it's That's not dying. Biggest, it's just yeah. No, it's not. Keeps going. He did discuss the importance of the CMS helping him obtain codes for Moors. Those individuals should get kudos, including Walter Dubrovsky, Graham Cobb, Taylor McGuire, and ironically, yours truly, Miller Smith. Okay, so this email's from Miller. Oh, there we go. So it's not Brad, at least. At least he has that going for him. This was pushed through with the support of our Morris group, Little Nikki, Chad Robertson, and Chris Gregoire. Now, did you notice this that he said Little Nikki? I'm trying to figure out because I know Miller and Nick McCool know each other. They went to residency, residency yeah. together. Do you think Little Nikki is Nick McCool? 100%. It has to be. That's, that's the only person I think it could be. Me too, but I've never heard anyone call him <laughs> Little Nicky before. <laughs> and the funny thing is, he listens to this and all his residents do. That makes so it even better. That makes it better. So listen, residents, I know you have to call him Dr. McCool. I call him Dr. McCool for six years as well, every single day, no matter what. Just one time, please, one of you in clinic, just go like, yo, Little Nicky, just then, one time. And then send us an email when you did do that. Yeah, yeah. please. Someone's got to punk him saying that. If, if that's him. If it's not him, then I don't know who it could be. <laughs> Anyways, moving on, we sat at the table with the CDA to really push broadening the scope of MOFS within the field of dentistry, technology, oncology, flap reconstruction, cosmetic, and trauma rehabilitation. This is a big deal because what he's talking about is we take a lot of things for granted. Like one thing that Dan would always tell me was, you know, they lived in an age where they couldn't admit patients. Yeah. Yeah. So you would do surgery and have to call someone to admit your patient. Like how embarrassing is that? You know, having op or admitting privileges. world. Yeah, we take so many things for granted. So you really have to appreciate the people that are pushing the scope and pushing the boundaries. And people always right now, a lot of times they say, oh, you want to do this? You want to do that? Like, why don't you just accept what we currently have? It's like, what if, what if our- What if they accepted it? What if they just accepted yeah. it? We wouldn't have any, we wouldn't be able to do anything. So then he said, Dr. Elakim acknowledged an important individual in the training, Mr. John Devine. I also want to give a shout out to John Devine. He trained me during my fellowship and has the highest success rate for flaps of anybody I met or read about. Over nine years, he had completed over 600 flaps and only had one flap wow. failure. That's insane. Yeah. I looked at every flap he treated and, and can attest to his phenomenal skills. He is now practicing in Abu Dhabi. That, that's when you know you have skills when you're practicing in Abu Dhabi. Well, I was going to say, he's, I mean, I want to speak for Dr. John, but like, come on, he's in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, you know exactly he's the boss. Like, you know he's, you know he's the boss. Yeah. He clearly just got some ridiculous contract to come he, over he's there. He's the new live golfer. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing the live golf. Yeah. He's like the live golfers, yeah. but of oral surgery. And then he says, I also want to give a shout out to David Koppel, former chair and cranial facial surgeon and my fellowship mentor in Glasgow. And he's now at McGill. Yeah, this is a big deal. McGill has a new program director. Shambi Oshiasan, who was my program director, came to the end of her term. And now Jordan Gigliotti, who was one year above me in residency and is a good friend of mine, and David Koppel are now co-program oh, directors wow. at McGill. So huge, huge change for the program. And apparently, you know, he, he's a, a big, big deal. deal. It's, it's going to add a lot to the program. Yeah. And uh, Miller agrees. He says he's a fantastic educator, really pushes for international OMFS success. And he would be a great guest for future episodes. Oh, that's something great to, to keep in mind. Something for Brad to write down and think about in the future. And he said, I just wanted to update your history lesson and make sure you don't miss anything. <laughs> Toodles M. So I signed it M. I mean, that could just be Brad pretending to be him. <laughs> I'm sure Miller will let us know he actually wrote this email. Although it did have a lot of like historical facts. No, no, I don't he think. knew too much. He knew too much. He knew, he knew a little too much. So thanks to Miller for writing in. We, we love fan mail. We love hearing back. And, uh, and thanks for sending that in. So that brings us to our final current event. And this actually is very topical. We received a, a voice note, which I will tell you, Oscar, we like hearing from our listeners. But if you're going to send us an audio clip, oh, so much better. Yeah. And especially because you love voice notes. I love voice like notes. Are you going to make fun of me for this? It's so funny because I text you and I, uh, then I see typing and I'm like, oh, this is taking long. And then I get a voice note and I'm like, 
I can't listen to this. I'm at work, man. Just text me. <laughs> my friends make fun of me for this all the time. I am obsessed with voice yeah, notes. Like, first of all, I don't like texting. I'm so lazy. I don't want to type out, especially these long stories. Yeah. I love voice notes. It's really simple. You just send an audio recording. Also, am I weird? This is just me. I enjoy hearing people's voices. You are weird because most people don't like calling now. And this is like a, a, a different version of calling, right? Where you have to voice note. I pretty much carry my AirPods around because I know you're going to voice note me at some point <laughs> in the day and I have to put my AirPods in. Well, the other thing, which is like an unwritten rule between us is, you know, when you got a voice note, it's not public. No, exactly. Like, That's you're why not I got to take the AirPods in. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Whenever I get voice note, I'm not playing on speakerphone. Yeah. I'm not playing. I'm putting the headphones on because you know what we're sending each other is definitely <laughs> for your ears only. Yeah. But yeah, I love voice notes. So whenever we get a voice note, I appreciate that. Listen, if you send us a voice note, you're almost guaranteed to get on the you're show. Going, you're going on air for sure. Unless it's something ridiculous that you're <laughs> saying, but you're you're pretty much almost guaranteed to get on. So send us send us an audio note, send us a voice note. So this one is from Marco Caminiti, regular listener of the show, previous guest of the show. And he wanted to update everyone on UFT's upcoming continuing education day. So let's hear from Marco. Thank you, Oscar, and thank you, Wendell, for giving me a bit of time to invite the oral surgery community at large to our annual education day at the University of Toronto. This is being held Saturday, November 5th. This year, we have the honor and privilege of hosting Brian Farrell, who will talk to us on a variety of topics. We will also be presenting updated research projects by residents from a variety of programs. The event will be held during the day at Humber River Hospital. In the evening, we will all convene at a somewhat different place. Since everyone thinks we're really boring in Toronto, we thought we'd kick it up a notch and post the event at a nightclub called Zango, which is downtown. We'll have cocktails and dinner, and for those who are interested, they can stay after hours and party the night away. The dinner will be open to plus ones. This invitation is for all oral and maxillofacial surgeons. Uh, it does tie in with our alumni gathering, but the invitation is open to everyone. We'll even raffle an exciting week with Wendell at one of the fancy resorts he stays at. Guys, thanks again. I wish everybody all the best. For contact, it can be myself, marco.caminiti at utoronto.ca, or the site is oral.surgery at dentistry.utoronto.ca, or anybody who knows me can get in touch with me. Cheers. As I said, it, you know, it depends on what they put in the voice note, but was it just me or is that a completely unnecessary shot at me during this like educational event? I'm always going to be happy with people take shots at you. So I'm not going to call it unnecessary. <laughs> so I like, and also obviously Dr. C is my favorite. So I'm on his team for sure with that one. He's promoting, he's promoting <laughs> an event meant to educate residents yeah. <laughs> and educate people and bring people together, bring the community together. And out of nowhere, I just take a shot right to the back. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it was so good. It was uncalled for and like out of nowhere, but I'm like, you know what? Let's take it. Yeah. But I, I will yeah, say no, I, that I, is a good event. And like, I'm, I'm hoping everyone shows up because we had a great time last year. Yeah. We had a great time last year and you got to meet some of my staff. You got yeah. to meet some other people. Like that it was, was a nice. lot of fun. That was very nice. Yeah. So it was a good time. I'm definitely going again this year. Are you going this year? I'm going for sure. Hopefully awesome. Brad makes it out too. Yeah, hopefully Brad will make out if he can come. We'll <laughs> no see. No pressure, we'll see. Brad. We'll see what the schedule is like. But yeah, yeah no, I'm really looking forward to that. And obviously, I'm particularly looking forward to this year because, you know, they got Brian Farrell yeah, as a guest. That's a huge connection to you. Huge connection. My fellowship director in Charlotte. And so uh, I think... Do you around while he's here? Definitely. Okay. 100%. I already, I already messaged him. I said, you know, I think you're in Toronto. Where do you want to go? It's going to be a good weekend for sure. Nice. And the other good thing is I've heard him lecture before. I've heard him speak before. And obviously, I've, I've learned under him. And 
he's a phenomenal speaker and he's hilarious. Like he's not only is he good content, but he's a very entertaining yeah, like speaker. You, like you want to listen to his lecture. You want to listen. And, and it made me realize that it's funny how life works, but such minute little chance events can change your entire life. I went to the CMS event in Montreal and he was invited as a speaker. So the first thing that had to happen was the scientific committee had to choose him as a speaker yeah. or know about him and, and convince him to come to Montreal. The you second thing that happened and attend, I had to attend yeah. and actually go to that lecture, not conflict with my call or mm -hmm. my OR or anything like that. I had to stay there, listen to the lecture because his last line of his presentation was, oh, and by the way, we have a fellowship. If anyone's interested, you can talk to me after. And I was like, whoa, that was an awesome presentation. This guy's yeah. a fellowship. So I talked to him, got his information, emailed, talked to a previous fellow, went down, visited, then interviewed at Amos, then got in. Like, this is the crazy chain yeah. of events yeah. that leads to shaping your entire life. And it's all based and on a chance lecture and chance side comment. Which could have easily been somebody else, or you could have easily missed it because you were doing a fracture case. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So crazy. So really, really fortunate. I can't wait for him to come down and come to Canada. You know, he makes fun of Canada all the time. So I need, we need to show him a good time and Maybe show him that, that Canada's actually again, a good though. place. Maybe he, someone else hears that lecture, that same lecture. Yeah. yeah, could be. So yeah, November 5th at Humber River Hospital. You can look for the details online. And I know that it's been emailed out to all the program directors as well as the Ontario Society and all that type of stuff. So it should be a really good event. Should be a good time. And hopefully we'll get to see everyone there. And if you, if you do attend, make sure you come up and say hi to us because we'll both be there for sure. Yeah. And Marco actually brings up kind of it's nice of him to take the initiative to kind of promote this event and reach out to other people. He wants other people to come. But it, it made me realize, and I thought this would be obvious, but I thought we should just mention it, that we love people running Canadian events. We like people organizing events or alumni events or continuing education events or surgical courses. You know, I went to that zygomatic implant course in Moncton. It gets the um, small was community a, together. Yeah. yeah. So if you have an upcoming event or you want to talk about an event, just send an audio note, send an email. And, you know, it's not meant to be promotional or things like that. But if it's an interesting event that we think people should know about, we'd love to talk about it. So definitely send that stuff in. Finally, another big uh, conference actually just wrapped up. You know, it was aimed this past week and uh, we, unfortunately, none of us were able to attend. Brad, Brad, Brad you actually Brad get back did. in here because I'm pretty sure Brad, I'm sure Brad went, you know, Brad being the American, you know, land of the free and go, go America. Brad, did you go to Amos? I did. You can't pass up New Orleans. Yeah, that's true. Too. Oh, that's New a good yeah, city. Fair, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. How that's a great it, city. It was a great conference. I thought I learned a lot. Great speakers, great presentations. There was a nice online portion of it as well that I haven't gone through, but it looked like there was a lot of great topics there. And it was just nice to see people get together again. Unfortunately, I didn't see a lot of Canadians. I would have liked to see more, but I understand with the travels and time of year, it's tough. Yeah, I think that was the case because Riddy, one of like one of the partners in our practice, who we also talk about having him as a guest because Wendell always interacts with him and I obviously interact with him on a daily basis. He was there and he said there wasn't that many Canadians down there. He had a great time also, but they're not as many Canadians as he thought would be. Yeah, fair enough. The, the other thing about Rittenberg is that we've told him a million times that he's going to be a guest. He's on our list. It's coming up. Like, yeah. You know, we're just trying to space things out. You don't have too many UFT people, too many McGill people, stuff like that. But I don't think he believes this anymore. No, he doesn't. He believed us for the first he year, did, but did. it's been like a year and a half of telling him the same now story. Now he doesn't want to hear us talk about it. He's like, I don't believe you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we've gone on record. He, he will be a guest eventually. Yeah. Eventually, it could be five years from now, but he will be <laughs> but a guest. There will eventually. be a time. <laughs> <laughs> there will be at a time. Okay, Brad. Well, it's good that you had a good time. And yeah, I'm definitely going to check out the online portion for sure. That wraps up our current events. Now let's jump into Journal Club. Okay, so our article this month from Jameis is in the pathology section, which is always nice to yeah. change it up a little bit. Enlargement of the inferior alveolar nerve canal and mental neuropathy associated with B-cell lymphoma, a case report and literature review. 
This is by De La Guerra et al. And doing our pre-screening, it's a case report. So case reports are lower levels of evidence yeah. on you know your evidence pyramid. But if it's a proper case report, meaning they're actually talking about something new and novel. Yeah, and interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Sometimes they can be the most some of the most interesting articles you read. Yep. And I will say, when they find things that are super rare, when you encounter an incredibly rare condition or situation or pathology, and you try and do a literature review, remember, if it's extremely rare, You're not, likely there will only be case reports. Yeah, and that's, sometimes that's all you can yeah. go off. Or nothing. Yeah. So exactly. Or like, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So not only good to read case reports, but also publish case reports. Like because it I know does move things forward, like you said, if they're very rare. Marco's big on this. He tells the staff at all our meetings, I want you all involved in research. It's good for the residents. It's good for you guys to be involved, even if it's just a case report yeah. or a technique, technical note. You know, he's like, I want you involved. And I, I totally agree. I think it's a nice way of kind of dipping your feet into research in a, in a much easier way and controlled way. I agree. And it can be really interesting. So I thought this was really interesting. So pre-screening, we're happy with that because it is a, a rare condition, something we can learn from. We have a resident and oral surgery from Chicago, another one from Philadelphia, and then we have a professor, a bunch of professors. So I'm liking the pre-screening. It's, it's residents, it's oral surgery. You know, they're trying to educate other oral surgeons. So I like the pre-screening. Did it pass your pre-screening? I, I would say everything about it. I was like, you know what? I'm interested. Yeah, I passed my pre-screening for sure. Awesome. So let's jump in the article. And what I like to do with case reports, Oscar, is, and I think we should do this going forward, is when you're reading the article, I think it's always good to pause as a, as a reader and think, what would you do in that situation? But you have to be honest about it because if you're just going to pretend you would have done the perfect thing every time, you're not going to yeah, learn from the article. Like you're not really learning or expanding your knowledge in that. I agree. Yeah. So while I was reading this, I was trying to think, okay, what would I have done in the same situation? I, I was that? 100% doing the same thing. That's so funny. Yeah. Like when okay. you're reading well, it, you're well, like, let's, let's see if we follow the same path or if we branch off at any points. So one thing they talk about that you need to know about is mental nerve neuropathy. They classify it as MNN is the is the acronym that they're using. But, you know, there's neuropathy of the mental nerve and its distribution. That's going to be important in our discussion here. So a case is presented describing a patient who demonstrated unilateral inferior alveolar nerve canal enlargement on radiography and symptoms of MNN. So this is the case. You have a 20-year-old female presenting to your department, and they're presenting for evaluation of left lower lip and chin hypostasia. And it's been present for several months. A month prior to these symptoms, yeah. the patient had also had a cranial procedure for decompression in the setting of a Chiari 1 malformation. So they had a brain malformation. They had a significant neurosurgical mm -hmm. procedure. And now they're having lower lip numbness and chin sensation, so mental nerve distribution. So this patient is presented to your clinic. Oscar, we're going to do our physical exam. We're going to do our, our medical history, all surgical history, all that type of stuff. A big thing for the residents is you want to, you know, draw out and document exactly mm -hmm. where the distribution of the nerve is, where they're affected, two-point discrimination, directional sense, temperature, pain, you know, level A, B, C, all different nerve injuries. That's huge. I do that in my power practice right now, yeah. and I'll make sure to draw a diagram. It's so, so, so important. All that is done now, Oscar. What's your next step? What are you going to do? So it's funny. I'm actually going to take a step back for a second. I'm going to treat this as a, as a case. If this patient presented and then that one month history prior wasn't there, I feel that I'm just acting like this is me in my private practice, right? And that yeah. one month history of surgery before, I'm much more concerned, okay? And I'm and, mm -hmm. I'm, and it's not, I'm going to say something, but I don't mean it the way it's going to come out because I just don't know how to say it better. I would take it much more seriously. Mm -hmm. When that person just had that major neuro, like neurosurge procedure the month before, 
I almost downplay some of their symptoms because I'm like, oh, does it have to do with that massive surgery you just had a month ago? Or, yeah. Uh, and so I may have been, and looking back on it, I have to be honest with myself, I may have not dismissed this, but not taken it as seriously as I should have now reading the yeah. rest of the article, to be honest with you. Yeah, which is totally fair. I, I completely agree with you. When someone has a reason yeah. for something, you automatically think, okay, causation. Yeah. But maybe it's not correlation, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's, there's a difference between the two. So I, I agree with that, especially when it involves the brain, because then you're always thinking, oh, you can have all these crazy symptoms, crazy side effects, exactly. who knows what's going on, it's a recent procedure. So the next thing they did is they got some imaging. Mm -hmm. They got a panoramic radiograph, and it was notable for a left unilateral inferior alveolar nerve canal enlargement demonstrated by the arrows. So the first thing I would say is that, you know, we get pans all the time, I look at pans all the time. I've seen large yeah. inferior alveolar nerve canals before. When I look at this pan, this is not something I'd look at the pan and be like, whoa, that's jumping out. This is another thing that I like that I, I, being honest with myself, I'm like, okay, yeah. the red arrows make it jump out because they're mm -hmm. massive and red. But if you take that away, I'm like, all right, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's larger on the other side, but it's not like it jumps out of the page at you. Completely agree again. Yeah. So just trying to be honest. And as we're working through, this is what we're thinking. Now, the big warning sign, amber alert, use your brain. What's going on here is the numbness, yeah. the mental nerve neuropathy. Remember, benign things shouldn't affect the nerve. Malignant things usually affect nerves, cause numbness, paralysis, things like that. Things usually have to be pretty large to compress the nerve and cause the symptoms. And numbness should never just happen out of nowhere. Yeah. This isn't like phantom pain, phantom pressure, which can also be signs of things. As soon as you have any nerve sensations or numbness, instantly both of us are thinking, okay, it doesn't yeah. matter. Even if the something, pan looks completely normal. Something's got to be checked out. Something's got to be checked out. So I think if the pan was completely normal, I might favor an MRI mm -hmm. to look at the nerve and mm -hmm. kind of the distribution of the nerve and maybe more central things. If the pan is abnormal, which it was in this case, maybe you're favoring CT to look at the bony anatomy in the canal. Yeah. So that's what they did. They ordered a CT and it showed asymmetric enlargement of the canal. So given these radiographic and clinical findings, the patient was recommended for an incisional biopsy of the left inferior alveolar nerve under general anesthesia, which once again, man, that's a tough procedure. Like I was saying, when I was reading it, I'm like, that's not easy to do. Yeah, you're not yeah. just, oh, we're just going to biopsy your nerve. Like yeah. that's, that's a stressful yeah. procedure. <laughs> yeah. So they did, they unroofed the site. They did a biopsy. They used microforces, micro scissors. They did a five millimeter segment of the left inferior alveolar nerve and they sent it for analysis. So the pathology came back as a low grade B cell lymphoma, which I'm sure must have been shocking at the time. I mean, 100%. Something's going on. That's trying why to figure they're this up because it was shocking. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. So I think the learning point here is, you know, go through your algorithm check off your boxes, never take things for granted. And just, you know, one step at a time, you don't have to solve everything. You just need to rule things out. And I think follow proper protocol. So good clinical exam, good documentation, and then good imaging. You need proper imaging. Yeah. If your panorex is normal and they're still having symptoms and you can't explain something, well, what's the next step up from a panorex CT for a nerve? Maybe it doesn't show anything. What's the next step? An MRI. You have to go through this algorithm of care so that you're not over treating, but you're also not under treating. For sure. All you can do is try to knock out things, right? Be like, okay, I'm mm -hmm. going to rule that out. I'm going to rule that out. I'm going to rule that out. And so if you've done all your steps, sometimes you still may not come to the correct answer or to the diagnosis because there just may not be one that you can figure out. But at least you're doing a systemic approach where you're trying to use an algorithm and say, yes, I've done everything that I can to try to figure this out. Definitely. And what's nice is they didn't did a literature review. So at least you can know, okay, is this common? What's mm -hmm. happened in other cases? So what they said is, in their literature review, 42 patients had presented with inferior alveolar neural canal enlargement and 34 publications, including their report. 
Of the 16 patients that had mental nerve neuropathy, 70% had a malignant diagnosis. That's high. Which is very high. And it's really to stress the importance of malignant lesions versus benign. I always remember what Michelle Akim, our previous guest, told us about parotid lesions. Parotid lesions, no matter how big they are, should spare the facial nerve if they're mm -hmm. benign. Mm -hmm. As soon as you're getting into malignancy yeah. or the facial nerves being affected, you yeah. start getting really, really worried. Like you'd have to have a really large tumor to really compress the facial nerve and cause, you know, palsy. Yeah. But if they have a malignancy, it can infiltrate around the nerve right away. So you really, really have to worry about that. And then of the 25 patients that didn't have MNN, only 24% had a malignant diagnosis. So still one in four, but as you can see, far difference. less than three the people that Three quarters to a quarter, right? Exactly. Three quarters to a quarter. Yeah, exactly right. Next up, they kind of went through a discussion of all the different papers and what they found and what their findings were. I think one important part that they did talk about in the discussion section was the differential diagnosis. So they list a lot of different things. And as you can see, these are all rare nerve sheath tumors, malignant tumors, perineuroma, osteomyelitis. You know, there's such a wide mm -hmm. range of things that can be going on that they did the right thing. They did a biopsy, which is incredibly terrifying in that area and that anatomy. But I think that was the right course of action to help them get a diagnosis. That Honestly, that is terrifying because it's not likely that this would spontaneously resolve, right? Especially in this case, because we know it wouldn't because we now have yeah. science. But let's say it was something that was funny. You've now done a biopsy and you took a five millimeter segment of their IN. Yeah. And like, let's say your biopsy comes back as nothing. Mm -hmm. What do you do now? Yeah, what do you do now? Like, that, that's a tough dilemma to be in. And, and again, it's just like you said, it's just not an easy procedure to do either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, good, so good I, think, I think good we need them. to put aside your, our fears and our biases and just kind of, as you said, you have a lesion, you don't know what it is, what's the solution? Histopathologic analysis, you have okay. to do a biopsy. Yep. And as, as you said, as long as you have proper informed consent discussion with the patient, explain what's going on. And, if you can explain and, and now if you have some literature saying, you know, there's, th a there's a chance that this could be malignant or could be yeah. a benign tumor. We need to figure out what it is. I think the patient would understand that. I agree. Yep. So actually, I really enjoyed this case report. I, I thought it was a nice change of pace for pathology. And also, I like case reports if they're if they're novel and if they teach you something. And I really like the approach and I highly encourage other people to do what we do, which is don't read the whole thing at once. Like read it sequentially and stop to think, what would I do with this, this step of the procedure? Why would I do that? Is that correct? Is that wrong? Should I change my algorithm? Like kind of reevaluate in an honest way what your protocol is. And this is ex the exact reason why I loved it. It's not like this article was trying to teach or prove something necessarily. It was trying to present something to you and say, hey, just keep an eye out on this. And then if you do keep an eye on this, how would you treat it? That's what it did for mm -hmm. me. Yeah, no, I really liked it. So kudos to the authors and, uh, and definitely uh, worth checking out and reading. It'll be on our show notes for sure. That's it for our journal club. Let's move on to our resident reminder. Okay, so uh, sticking on the pathology theme for Resident Reminder, Oscar, you wanted to dive into a topic that, you know, often we have to relate with, with our colleagues when it comes to cancer. Also, when you receive operative reports or you're talking about treatment afterwards, it's really important. And it's the different lymph node levels of the neck. Yeah, and, so, I, and honestly, not even just that, but I think any Resident Reminder we do, it should be things that, that the residents are going to be either tested on or need to know during residency, right? Because... This is more for them. It's not more for the staff or the practicing oral surgeon. It's for the ones that are in first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth year, whatever year they're in and be like, oh, what is something that's going to be valuable that you're going to need to know in detail and you're going to be tested on either your oral or written at some point through your residency? Yeah, definitely. 
Was that your kind of inspiration behind this topic? Well, we just had, I knew the journal, I knew the article we were doing and we were doing lymphoma. So it's like, okay, let's do the lymph node levels of the neck because we haven't done it before. And I don't know about you, but on my exams, I would say mm-hmm. we had eight throughout my residency, at least on three or four of them. We were asked to either diagram them or do the boundaries or do the structures within them. So you've got to know them. Yeah, definitely. Keep in mind, for I was at McGill, right? We did oncology. So forget exams. Every single Wednesday in the OR, we would be uh, removing those lymph nodes from the neck. Yeah. And every Thursday in oncology clinic, it was always a question. What are the what are the zones? What are the levels? What do you have to remove? What's included in the selective neck dissection? What's a radical? What's a supraomohyoid? What is all these different exactly. you know levels? So exactly. we had, we had to know like the back of our hand for sure. And it's because when you're doing a surgery, sometimes you're not really thinking about it, and then you go write the exam. You're like, oh, I have to know the exact zones. It's it's dumb because you do the surgery so many times, but you may not think about it in that way, in, a, in an mm-hmm. exam type way. Yeah, for sure. So why don't you kick us off, Oscar? So what are the different lymph node levels of the neck? So like we're just and we're going to go very superficially because it can get super redundant and people can get really annoyed and you're going to fast forward, listen to this times two. So we're just going to say like list the levels and kind of just some other easy boundaries. So level one mm-hmm. A is the submental. That's the first one you're going to go with. And that's bounded between the anterior belly of the digastric and the hyoid bone. And then level one B. So level one is divided into two. Level one B is a submandibular group. And that's also divided by the anterior and posterior belly of the digastric with the body of the mandible and the style hyoid muscle. So those are, that's level one. Again, one A mm-hmm. and one B. Then you go down to level two. So level two is actually also divided into two A and two B. So it's the upper jugular group. And that's for both. And the way you divide between A and B are... If it's anterior to the spinal accessory nerve, it would be divided into A. And if it's posterior to the spinal accessory nerve, it would be in B. That's always a big question it I is. found. Every time, on every exam. Yeah. It's like, how what do you landmark divide? divides 2A from 2B? What are you looking for? And, and, and what happens if it's damaged? You know, a lack of shoulder function, things like this. Like I find spinal accessory nerve is one that they talk about a lot. For sure. And then for them, like just basic boundaries, skull base to the hyoid bone below. Then you go to level three. Level three is the middle jugular group. And that's from the hyoid bone to the cricoid cartilage. So pretty straightforward. Level four is the lower jugular group. And that's from the cricoid cartilage to the clavicle. Again, pretty straightforward. Level mm-hmm. five, also subdivided. So it's 5A and that's the posterior triangle. And then 5B is also the posterior triangle. The way they're divided is above the cricoid cartilage is 5A and below the cricoid cartilage is 5B. And the last one is the six is the anterior compartment group. And that's from the hyoid bone to the suprasternal notch between the common carotid arteries. And there's way more things that you need to know here, kind of like important structures that are found between each and then and then being able to diagram it when you see it on diagram listed. But I would say this is something that residents really should look at. Oh, definitely. And especially if you look at with diagrams, obviously, this is an audio medium, but it's much easier to look at with diagrams. So much easier. Kind of map it out. And you kind of brought up a good point, which is if you draw it out, it'll commit to memory a lot better because there are so many anatomical structures. The thing is, if you don't do the hard work and trust me, this is laborious, it's exhausting and it's really hard to remember. But if you don't do this work, first of all, it'll be hard on an exam to talk about. But second of all, when you're in the OR doing these cases, the neck is a zoo. The neck yes. is the hardest oh. area of the body to operate. Yeah. In. Like there's so you're many gonna structures. get so lost so quickly if you don't know this anatomy. I would say from an oral surgery point of view, especially at McGill when we were doing these cases, like you have to know one, two, three mm-hmm. as if it's, you know, your last name. Like one, two, three, yeah. you're literally there all the time. A lot of times they'll dive down into four. It was rare that we would do five or six, but like one, two, three is guaranteed. And then four was very common. So you really, really need to know those different levels, especially because they blend. You need to know the, the, and, you know, as you said, you can really get into the weeds on this because you can get into oh. anatomical barriers, yeah. radiographic barriers, yes. patho- pathological barriers. Like there's so <laughs> many different classifications. But I think if you go with the anatomical barriers, it's the safest way, the one that you probably need to know. And at least you'll be able to describe it in more detail on a kind of a test or an exam question. Exactly. Like you look at the clinical experience, like you said, 
and, and you'll be able to figure that out. But yeah, on a, on a test, if you know what the clinical anatomic barriers, you're probably going to pass that that section. For sure. So that was our resident reminder. One thing we always say is that residents often, you know, will tell their staff what they're struggling with or what they want to know more about. And we're the same, like reach out to us. Yeah. If there's a certain topic that we haven't talked about and you would love for us to explain, or maybe it's just something that you've read or you've operated on and you just don't get it. You can even send it anonymously to us, you know, and you can say, listen, I've been in the OR, we've been doing this and staff always mentioned this, or they've taught me this and I just don't get it. Can you please explain this? I'd love to explain it. Love to explain a topic to the residents. So definitely reach out to us if you have an idea for a resident reminder topic and we'd love to hear from you. And that's the point of resident reminder. So yeah, if we can get actually influence from people who are in residency, 100%. So that concludes our resident reminder. Let's move into our final section, recommendations. So Oscar, for recommendations, I'm doing something that I haven't done before, which is I'm also recommending a show that I haven't finished yet, Oh, which is kind of an Oscar move because that's yeah. what you've been doing yeah. recently. I never do that. <laughs> I, I, always wait till, I always wait till I finish the full thing before I recommend it. But the reason I haven't finished it is because it's airing right now. It's one episode at a time. What can you do? It's House of the Dragon. Oh, okay. Okay, don't spoil. Okay, you can recommend it, but don't spoil it because I'm so excited to watch this. But the reason I haven't is because I want to binge it. I want to finish it when it's all. I knew it. So I was going to (laughs) say, I had a feeling you hadn't started yet. And I was wondering why you hadn't started. And I think it's funny to mention that because for pretty much all the shows I watch now that aren't already like a streaming platform where you can just watch the whole season at once, for almost all of them, I I will just wait until the season's done. Mm -hmm. Like I literally set a reminder on my phone saying, like, you know, this season finished. So now you can start watching the whole thing. Yeah certain shows are the exception and this is one of them and it's for two reasons one i do find it entertaining on a week-to-week basis to build up the hype in between number two i do watch it with my wife so it's a nice kind of activity we can do together each week but most importantly is some shows are just so culturally relevant and such a phenomenon that it's like impossible to To avoid people spoiling it and waiting yes yes so that's why I've been watching for those that don't know House of the Dragon is a prequel series to Game of Thrones so if you haven't watched Game of Thrones like Start. Go watch Game of Thrones. Don't watch this. Yeah. Well, you have to watch Game of Thrones first. Like it's it's very obvious you have to watch Game of Thrones first. So I definitely recommend that. But then, you know, the reason I'm recommending this before it's even finished is I don't know if it's gonna be a good show. I watched some episodes that are great, and this is no spoilers for you. Some episodes are amazing. Some episodes I'm like, this is so dumb. It's reminding oh. me of the end of Game of Thrones and okay. how it ended so badly. But I can't deny each week I'm entertained. Okay. I'm entertained. I'm enjoying it. It's one hour long. And for the whole hour, I'm like, this is entertaining and I'm enjoying this. And, and so you just and, mentioned something that I, I guess I forgot that kind of enjoyment in the sense of, of looking forward to the next episode. I've yeah. gotten so used to binging shows now because of Netflix and just there's waiting. no cliffhangers anymore. There then. isn't where it's like, oh, I want to watch the next one. It's right there. I just press play and I continue yeah. on. And there is something to be said about having to wait till the whole next week or the next mm-hmm. two weeks till you watch. So I think that's pretty, that's exciting. I will agree with that. And we grew up pre-streaming. So we remember the whole like, you know, wait up on cable yeah. and watch it between eight to nine. And if you miss five minutes, you'll never see that yeah. five minutes no, again. You can't. So we grew up on that, the week to week suspense and yeah. talking for the whole week with everyone about it. Like, I love that. Yeah. No. So that's why certain shows I do think it's worth doing that way. But other shows I obviously do just wait. But yeah, so that would be my recommendation is if you haven't seen Game of Thrones, obviously go watch that first. But if you have watched Game of Thrones and you enjoyed it, even if you thought the end was bad, because trust me, I think the last three seasons were terrible. you got to watch this. Just watch it. It's it's fun. It's entertaining. And you, you won't regret it. So I was going to watch it up for sure. You may have not convinced me to not watch it. Binge. You might. You may. Have I don't think you should. I think you should catch up okay. and then just watch it one week at a time. I think I may actually do that. Yeah. Especially if Lexi is going to watch it with you. Yeah. And so then my recommendation, I'm not sure you already gave it, like it may have been, because I, I don't remember what last month's is, but mine is Top Gun, the movie. 
I think we talked about this. Did you give it or did I? No. I think I gave it because yeah. I said I went and watched it in theaters. Yeah, and so that's what I'm saying. And so like you had said that that, I, that you, did you enjoy it? I'm trying to yeah, remember. Yeah, I actually really enjoyed yeah. it. And, so I and I I'm thought, someone that thought the first one was stupid. Yeah, so then I put it on my list to watch, okay? And so okay. now I officially watched it, especially also because one of our good buddies, he's our mutual buddy, Wendell knows him well too, Gavin is obsessed with this movie. He has watched, oh, really? it, like, has watched it like four times, twice in the okay, theater. He, he needs to slow down. Yeah. He needs to slow down. So then I'm like, you know what? I'm, Wendell's it was good he really gav really liked it i'm gonna give it a chance and i will say i really enjoyed the movie like it was yeah. good because the first one was kind of corny first one sucked it yeah, was terrible like, like i wouldn't say it sucked but it was corny i was like oh, okay but the second one i really enjoyed watching yeah i thought it was really entertaining and really good yeah and you're like i'm like honestly i didn't think there was a cooler job than being a formula one driver i'm like you know what being a fighter <laughs> pilot is i think that beats it it's pretty cool yeah, everyone talks about that last half an hour. Those scenes are just phenomenal. No, unreal. And the fact that they're filmed, like, realistically filmed, yeah. that just yeah. makes it insane. Yeah, and remember, I saw it in theaters. Oh. So I saw it in theaters, so the sound effects, yeah. the feeling, like, you felt like you were in the plane. It was wild. Yeah, and then and then on another positive note, because I did some research after I watched the movie, a Canadian just finished the Top Gun school, actually. The Canadian Air Force pilot. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was on an exchange. Wait, the Top Gun school still exists in real life? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and Acadia was on cool. exchange and did really well. So he just graduated from it. So shout out to him. Nice. Congrats. Yeah. But so I will Canada. say, whoever hasn't watched it, even if you didn't think the first one was that good or were kind of corny, I think the second one was quite good. Yeah. And I, I would second that because I'm someone, like, as you already heard, I'm the biggest hater of the first one. And I thought the second one was very entertaining. So even if you didn't like the first one, watch the second one. And if you like the first one, obviously, you're going to watch the second one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Funny side note is, there's only two movies ever that I've actually gone to watch multiple times in the theaters. Which one? Okay. So one is The Dark Knight. Okay, like that, yeah. I saw The Dark Knight on opening weekend, and I was like, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. I need to go watch it again, but in IMAX this yeah, time. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm okay <laughs> that with was that. One. And Inception. Inception is okay. one of my favorite I'm movies right ever. I'm too. I like, yeah. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I watched ones. it twice in theaters, once with my friends and once with my family. Is that the same director? Christopher Nolan? It is. Yeah. Yeah, Christopher Nolan. I'm a big Christopher yeah, Nolan fanboy. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. No, but I have like a problem. Like I went on IMDb and and started at the beginning and watched every single movie he's ever made. <laughs> and I love them all. Oh, but you're okay. Yeah. You're like his hype girl now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like a fanboy. No, but I guess those are the only two movies I've ever, ever seen twice in theaters. But no, I think great recommendations. If anyone else has any recommendations, definitely reach out to us and let us know if you agree with us or disagree. We always like to hear. Because recommendations are very popular. People like actually follow our recommendations and they'll watch or listen to things. And, and so a lot of pressure on us. It's good though, too. Like some of the times we've, yeah. we've heard, I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to try that. And they've been good. Yeah. We've had a lot of recommendations where you haven't watched that thing and I have, and then you'll end up going and watch yeah. it and you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Oscar, read any books recently? Actually, Lex has on our vacation because we were on trains for a while. We were listening to audiobooks. Oh, yeah. look at you. Yeah, yeah. And I can't remember the name, but next time we're on, I will talk about it. And she, and we also ordered another book. I think from, wow. the, I think from the same author of the one that you like that you gave me. Really? Yeah, yeah for our next Look vacation. You guys starting a little uh, book club. Yeah, yeah. I'm crushing books, man. I'm reading books all the time. And as I said, What'd you read? I have no time. We're so busy. Like I have no time. To, I'm behind on everything in my life. The only reason I can read books is before I go to bed, I read for 10 minutes. Oh, okay. And if what you, you read what 10 you minutes right a night, you'll finish a book a week. Are you reading like fiction or are you reading? So now I only read fiction. Okay. So I just, just want to break. Relax your brain. Yeah, relax your brain. Relax your brain, have a break. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously J.K. Rowling wrote all the Harry Potter books. Mm -hmm. And then she created like a pen name called Robert Galbraith and wrote like all adult detective novels. 
Oh, I didn't know that. So they're all like detective kind of murder mystery type yeah, yeah. things. And they're really good, obviously. If you like Harry Potter, you like J.K. Rowling, you're going to like Another these books. They're very similar style. And uh, yeah, this is a, a bonus recommendation. So it's a detective series. And the sixth book just came out. So I'm reading the sixth book. I already read the first five. Uh, you are. Uh, and reading. keep in mind, Harry Potter only had seven books. So it's almost caught up to yeah, the, yeah. the level of having as many books as Harry Potter, which is pretty impressive. Or no? None of them have been movies. They've all been TV shows oh. so far, though. Oh. They're all like they're by the BBC. They're like limited TV shows of yeah, three yeah. episodes each book. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I watch the TV shows, too. But no, I enjoy the books, especially this one. Because the fifth one wasn't, or sorry, the fourth one wasn't very good. The fifth one was good. But the sixth one has been really good okay. so far. I'm only like 100 pages in. Oh. I really enjoyed it. I want to know that. But if people like Harry Potter, like I definitely recommend checking out this book series because it is quite entertaining. Awesome. Well, that concludes our episode, Teeth and Titanium. We appreciate all of you for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, reach out at teethandtitaniumomfs at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks a lot for tuning in, and we will see you guys next time. Take care, guys. Bye.